The My Ag Life Daily News Report is the go-to daily ag news source for California agriculture. The hour-long daily news report can be heard every Monday through Friday at 5 a.m. and is available on demand with the My Ag Life app. Download it for free at myaglife.com. This podcast is sponsored by Soil and Crop Incorporated, your number one resource for sustainable crop nutrition by putting nature to work for you. Welcome to My Ag Life, where we cover your world in agriculture. This podcast is powered by the top publications in the industry, West Coast Nut, Progressive Crop Consultant, and Organic Farmer Magazine. Here is your host, Taylor Chalstrom. Hi, welcome to My Ag Life. Today, we're talking with Kat Jarvis Sheen, UCCE Orchard Systems Advisor, about dormancy in Trina orchards and what trees do during the winter. Welcome back, Kat. Thanks. Glad to be here. Good to have you here. Kat, my first question for you here. Ideal conditions are needed during dormancy for tree nuts in order for a strong start in spring. You know, what are some of those necessary conditions for dormancy and how do needs maybe vary among some of the different tree crops out there? Yeah, so broadly speaking, we're talking about winter chill when we talk about dormancy. And so the trees needing to experience a certain amount of cold over winter to be essentially convinced the winter has passed and that it's safe for their delicate little flowers and and new leaves to come out um and it's not just you know one warm day in the middle of january um and we talk about different crops and different uh, varieties within those crops having different chilling requirements historically we've talked about it as chill hours so any hour under 45 degrees as time has passed um, and you know temperature recording equipment and computing and all that stuff has advanced, um, we've come up with more sophisticated ways of counting. Um, trees are actually very good at high level math, apparently. Um, but that's the basics of it. Um, but you know what we've been finding more recently um, that it's not just a straight ahead accumulation of cold being experienced, but also, swings in temperature can really um, affect whether the tree is counting or keeps counting. Um, so we've had, you know, if we have very dramatic warm days and then cold nights, those warm days can cancel out a lot of the chill credit that you would have otherwise gotten from the night before. So it's not just a matter of getting a certain number of days, but also um, how, how high the highs are, not just how low the lows are during winter. And you do a lot of work in the Sacramento Valley. I'm curious when you talk about those fluctuations, you know, what, what are you guys seeing up there during the winter in terms of fluctuations? Is it pretty, pretty large or not that much at all, that type of thing? You know, I mean, it's always a little warmer down where you guys are. Like in the San Joaquin, I'd say roughly five degrees. But when we have warm days, you guys are having warm days too. Um, you know, like... And so the, the winters of 2013-2014 and 2014-2015 we had uh, were historically quite warm and we would see things like um, middle of January many days in a row in the 70s and 80s uh, for like long chunks of the day. Um, that sort of thing can really set back your chill accumulation counter. The trees need you know these adequate winter chill hours to come out blooming in the spring. I'm curious though, what needs to go wrong during dormancy for these tree crops to not come out synchronized and be ready for bloom there? Yeah, so um, what usually ends up going wrong is 
well, either we don't get enough cold or we get too much heat is the basics of it. Um, so again, if we have those warm conditions in, um, we get most of our chill accumulation in December, January. So that's really when warm conditions have the most impact because that's when we usually get the most cold. So if our minimum temperatures, our overnight temperatures are warmer than usual, if our daytime temperatures are a lot hotter than average, um, and um, and the other thing is, you know, we're seeing less fog than we had in the 70s and 80s, um, and that means that the the buds and the wood are out there kind of cooking in the sunshine um, in a way that they weren't at the same air temperature uh, when there was fog around. So those are the three things that can go wrong, I'd say, um, when you're trying to get towards meeting. Uh, your chill requirement to break dormancy. Is there a definitive reason why we're seeing less fog these days as opposed to, you know, 30, 40 years ago? There are a number of reasons. I mean, one, actually, fog is encouraged by particulate matter. And so as we've cleaned up our air quality in the Central Valley, we've that has contributed to less fog. Um, we have a lot more paved surfaces. And so there's a lot more... Um, urban heat island effect, um, and that can keep the overnight temperatures higher, um, and, and then climate change. So we've seen an increase in about two degrees Fahrenheit in the last 30 years, mostly in the last 30 years in the Central Valley. Um, so that has also contributed to things being warmer and just not having the right conditions for fog in the winter. Okay, thanks for clarifying that. We're gonna be right back after a word from our sponsors. Soil and Crop Incorporated is your number one resource for sustainable nutrition. Growers are faced with difficult challenges, and Soil and Crop Inc. has the experience, fertilizer, and biological portfolio to dramatically increase yield and performance in your troubled orchards and fields. Contact Soil and Crop Incorporated today for a free consultation on how we can help reverse the challenges you face as a conventional or organic grower so you can increase your bottom line and become a better sustainable farmer. Contact us today at 559-564-1236 or visit our website at www.callnrg.com. Soil and Crop, putting nature to work for you. Hi, we're back talking with Kat Jarvisheen, UCCE Orchard Systems Advisor about dormancy in Trina orchards and what trees do during the winter. Kat, I'm curious, you know, some of these winter freeze events, some of these fluctuations have had adverse effects on some walnut growers in the state. You know, how do severe winter freeze events like those that the walnut growers have experienced in recent years affect growth after dormancy, you know, growth in the spring? Yeah, so that's a great question because we talk about different cold events that happen during winter or winter-ish timing um and they can have very different you know cold temperatures can have very different influences depending on when they hit an orchard so uh what we've had for the last three years running um especially on the east side and really walloping walnut orchards as you say is a um, sudden cold in late uh, in early to mid november so temperatures being pretty mild, pretty warm, and then a sudden drop in temperatures that is below freezing and sustained for many, many hours. And sometimes a couple of nights in a row, depending on which year it was. 
Um, and so that is, um, you know, that's a freeze event as opposed to winter chill, which is like between freezing and 50 degrees Fahrenheit is when you get good quality chill. Um, so yeah, so those freeze events can essentially um, burst the membranes of the cells and, and then everything leaks out and you can't get it back together. Um, and that messes up the wood in a way that is hard to recover from. And a lot of walnut growers can identify with that then having to, once they see how things bud out in the spring and maybe even waiting ideally into May and June um, to see what can finally make it all the way through and what is definitely just pooped out, um, then cutting out that dead wood. And um, yeah, so freeze events, different from winter chill, even though they're both about cold. In some ways it is related to dormancy though, because if those, once those trees go to dormancy, then they are much better at tolerating those very cold events. So the problem has been in recent, um, in the recent part of the problem in the recent past, in the last couple of years is not just that there's been a big drop uh, in temperature very suddenly, but that it's been pretty warm up until then. So if those trees had, if we had had milder and milder and cooler and cooler conditions leading up to those events, those trees would have been well on the way to dormancy already and probably been able to, um, to manage those cold temperatures. And, um, and I'm jumping ahead, but that actually relates back to what uh, relates forward to what I think you're going to ask about also is carbohydrates um, because the trees use, you know, they have um, carbohydrates that are either in the form of sugars or starch, and they actually use that sugar as an antifreeze uh, within the cells so that the cells can tolerate even colder conditions. So that's one of the reasons that as trees go into winter, they start turning some of the starches, which is like their stored fat essentially, into sugar. Um, but if the trees haven't gotten cooler and cooler conditions to signal like you need to start turning some of that more back into sugar, um, then they won't have that antifreeze in place to be able to sustain, or, you know, live well through those temperatures. Yeah, and I do want to get into those carbohydrates in a second, but I, I did have one question. As far as I know, before these last few consecutive years of these winter freeze events, they were fairly sporadic. You know, growers didn't have to expect it every year. What's what's really changed in that regard? Why are why are we just seeing these consecutive events? Is that a uh, maybe a result of climate change, that type of thing? You know, what's really going on there? To be honest, we don't have a slam dunk answer for that. There's a combination of things. Um, we have a lot of, you know, some a fair amount of newer acreage, um, people who are really pushing that acreage. Um, and so we could be managing our water and our nitrogen better at the end of the growing season with these uh, walnuts so that they shut down sooner to start going into dormancy and settling down. Um, but you know, there's plenty of growers who have been, who have mature orchards, who've been doing this for decades, if not generations, who were walloped by these cold temperatures. Um, and so, yeah, certainly there's something more than just like management not going right. Um, and I, I think we're still parsing this out, but I think a lot of it has to do with 
those warmer conditions leading up to that big drop. So it's not that we don't usually get a big drop like that at some point in November. Um, it's just that we're not, things that are otherwise warmer and the trees aren't preparing uh, for those drops in temperature in the way that they used to. So yeah, which related to um, increased temperatures probably that we're seeing from climate change. Well, we know our temperatures are increasing in the fall, so it would make be related back to that. Okay, definitely. Thanks for that. And now I, I definitely do want to get into those carbohydrates. You talked about how they kind of act as an antifreeze for the tree. And there's a, the Z lab at UC Davis is currently researching some of these dormancy related activities in orchards. Mm -hmm. And one of those avenues of study is non-structural carbohydrates or NSCs. I'm curious, how do trees use NSCs during dormancy? If you could expand on what you're talking about before and why is it really important that growers keep track of them? So non-structural carbohydrates, um, that's a big mouthful. It's basically, you know, carbohydrates are also the cell walls, other parts of the tree. So we mean the carbohydrates that are floating around that the tree can utilize without having to, you know, eat itself alive. Um, and so that can be in the form of starches or sugars. And the tree can move carbohydrates back and forth from those two pools. Um, but basically it's going through the growing season, sending a lot of carbohydrates into using, you know, doing things like defense, um, respiration, uh, taking up nutrients, you know, the day-to-day -day stuff that trees need to do, plus sending some of those carbohydrates into growing. But at the same time, it's churning out extra carbohydrates and putting them away in the larder, like in the, um, you know, in the cupboard to stock up for winter. Um, and, and then during winter, you know, the tree, we don't see leaves out there. They look like they're not doing much, but they are still alive, respiring, uh, defending themselves against cold conditions, et cetera. So they are still using energy. So, and they need to draw down on those reserves that they stored away in the cupboard um, during winter. So, um, so these non-structural carbohydrates are stored energy that the tree uses during winter. And they are, the sugar part of them um, are more like active in keeping things um, to tolerate, uh, yeah, tolerant of cold conditions in a sort of anti-freeze way. Um, and, and it's important to track because if you, if you draw down on those reserves too much over winter, then you get into spring and you're pretty hungry and you don't, as a tree, you know, you don't have a lot of oomph to then, um, you know, get your flowers out there and start growing um, your fruit or your nuts or whatever. Um, and so that's, that storage, we're learning more and more about how that storage and how much you have stored once you get to spring can be fairly determinant of yield um, because you know that bloom time is a really critical time. I mean, obviously everybody knows this. This is why we try to get it right, but is a real determinant time of yield, and we get a lot of you know drop at bloom and then later June drop uh, in in May. The tree has its own balancing act inside of it to sense. I mean, I don't think I have enough reserves to carry all of the nuts that I set. 
on this tree. So I'm going to drop some of them. I, I can't make it through. And so, yeah. So if you don't have enough carbohydrates going into the spring, going into that bloom, then you can baby those trees for the rest of the year. But if in that couple of days they were like, I can't make it with all of these, then they're going to drop a lot of them and, and you just won't have as high yields. How do growers going into that, how do they ensure that they do have enough carbohydrates? Is it, can the grower do anything to, to change that? Or is it really just up to the trees at that point? So this is the problem with starting to talk about cutting edge research before it's um, all like cooked and every, <laughs> everything is figured out. Um, you know, we've been looking into the, I should say, the, the Z lab has been looking into this for the last five or six years which is um, a pretty short time span in terms of developing a science around something. So I know that's frustrating as a grower to be like, well, you're telling me about this thing, so how do I use it? Um, but we're still figuring out, we're, we've, they've done a good job uh, in those past five years of figuring out what the baseline is. Um, but now we need to, they need to look back in the uh, cahoots with farm advisors at, okay, if I manipulate this knob, can that increase my carbohydrates over winter? If I, you know, pull on this lever, what does that do? Um, so, so we're not quite there yet. You kind of also talked about some, some of the research involving that you can kind of look at these NSC levels going into spring and tell how, what the yield might be, you know, how, how does that work? Uh, so that's still at the researcher level. Um, there's, there are, there's not really like a great lab that you can send. Well, I should say, um, you can send your samples to the Zwinyeki lab because they definitely need grower collaborators on this. Um, but you would need to send them a couple of times during the growing season, not just um, at bloom. There's not like a pay, uh, paid lab service right now that you can send in a, a, a spur in late January and know what your almond yields are going to be that year. If growers were to want to do that, how would, how would they kind of go about doing that? How would they get in contact with the Z lab? Yeah. Um, I think the best way is probably just to Google UC Davis carbohydrate observatory. And that'll take you to a website that has a lot more information on the research. And there's a contact us tab uh, somewhere in there. Okay, perfect. Well, Kat, I have time for one last question here. I'm curious, do you have any other tips for tree nut growers as we're approaching the dormant season here? You know, are there any management tools they can use to ensure trees come out of dormancy ready for spring? I know we were just talking about how there's not uh, a lot we know at this time, what they can do for carbohydrates and whatnot, but maybe anything else that they can do to ensure uh, trees get through the dormant season. Yeah, th there's a lot of research going on in this right now. The Walnut Board is funding me to look at things that you can apply late in the winter if the trees don't get enough winter chill um, to, to wake them up like they normally would wake up. Uh, we call them dormancy breaking chemicals, but none of those are labeled for use in walnuts right now. Um, and there's nothing officially labeled for that purpose in pistachios right now either. Um, so that research, we're, we're working fast and hard um, to get that out, but we don't have any tools in the toolbox just yet. 
Well, Kat, thank you for coming on today and talking about some of these issues surrounding dormancy. There's certainly a lot that I learned about it. I hope some others took some stuff away from it too. We appreciate you coming on and talking about it today. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Taylor. Happy to do it. This is Taylor with My Ag Life signing off. Thanks for listening. Subscribe for updates on new episodes, exclusive content, and more at myaglife.com.